wasn't expecting that song. It's a powerful song, isn't it? It's asking us, were we there? Of course the answer is no. But of course the answer is yes. Because we who are followers of Christ have experienced the death of Christ in our own life. We've experienced the death of our old sinful nature. And we've experienced putting to rest all of our sinful ways. And we've experienced the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've experienced these things. And so when we ask, were you there? It's not a rhetorical question. It's a question about the reality of the Christ experience in your life. And so I'd like, I hope that this afternoon that we're, well, this morning, that we will experience that crucifixion once again in our own life about us and join with Jesus Christ on the cross as he suffers in anguish for us. Let's bow and pray. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your word and the way uh, the, the apostles wrote about you. And they wrote about how you died on the cross and how you suffered in anguish and how you did it for us. And you bid us come and experience the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that today we would experience these things afresh, that we would internalize them. We ask, Lord, that our lives would be worthy of following after the one who died for us. I pray, Lord, that as I speak your words, I pray that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit to speak them in power and in truth. And I pray that your Spirit would apply them to our lives, to our souls, to our hearts, so that we would be experiencing you speaking to us today and challenging us and changing us. And so we commit this time to you, Lord Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your servant. servants are listening. Amen. You know, I've had the privilege of uh, living through uh, some life-changing events, some, some global-changing events. And I, I've had the unfortunate experience of living through some global life-changing events. One of the events I'll never forget, I was seven years old. We're sitting in front of my, my parents' black and white TV. Our eyes were glued on the TV. And we were watched as this man cloaked in all kinds of big white garments stepped down a ladder and said these words, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And he stepped onto the surface of the moon. And I was just like, whoa, this is so amazing. And my dad was just like, I can't believe this. This is not possible. This is crazy. And I, it changed me, you know. And, and, and I remember reading the, the books about Odyssey 2000, you know, and, 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 and the colonies we were going to put on the moon, by, at least by the year 2000. Yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> but it was a monumental event. And I remember... Uh, running home from my office here uh, about 18 years ago and watching as an aircraft crashed into the World Trade Center. And I was just like, whoa, what is happening? And my world changed. And I watched as in live TV, thousands of people were, 
were murdered as that building collapsed into a heap of rubble. And I was just like, oh, man, this is, how can I be alive when events like this are happening in our world? And I was in shock. But, you know, all of those monumental events, they absolutely pale in significance to the monumental event that happened 2,000 years ago on a Good Friday when the Lord of the universe went to the cross for you and I. That was a history-changing event like no other. It changed, even our calendars reflect it, it changed the world. And most people in the world who follow a religion follow Christ. Praise God. It's a monumental event. And you know, it's interesting that today our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ and his death. So you might want to ask, well, why then are we diverting attention to this tank over here and having people getting dumped, dunked beneath the water? What, what, doesn't that distract from the main attraction? No, not at all. You see, baptism is all about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all about that. It's, it's woven together. It's intrinsically part of the baptism experience is the Good Friday and the Resurrection Sunday experience, Easter Sunday experience. It's what baptism is all about. And so when we baptize people, we're really celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul explains it best. And you can turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 6 and uh, pick up a few verses there. Um, see, Paul's, Paul's explaining to Christians why um, just because Jesus washes away all our sins doesn't mean that... I think we need to back up a slide. <clears throat> yeah, because we're going to look at this verse first. Um, but Paul is explaining that just because um, Christ died for your sins and your sins are washed away, doesn't mean you should go out and sin some more because God's going to cover all your sins. He will cover all your sins. But Paul says, I want to give you some reasons why we don't go out and sin all the more because grace will abound all the more if we do. He says, well, first of all, don't you know that all of us who were baptized were baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, so I want to point out here that that, um, we were baptized into Christ Jesus, but we were baptized into his death. Do you remember that time when you were baptized into Christ's death? I actually realize that it's the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into Christ's death. When we confess that we are sinners before Almighty God, we are being baptized into his death. And then we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. The Holy Spirit put us into that tomb and caused us to be dead with Christ. And so our old sin for nature is done And then, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Isn't that an awesome thing? Just like Jesus died, was buried, we die, and we're buried. 
And just like Christ rose from the dead, we rise from the grave. You know, that's depicted in baptism. I often tell, tell the students in the baptism class, where do you see someone on their back like that? I can't quite do it. I need a couch to lay on or something. But where do you see someone like that? In the grave, in a tomb, in a casket. And that's the symbolism that we're talking about here. If I, and I tell the class, they always look at me kind of weird. I always say, and then I hold you under the water until you die. <laughs> and they all look at me like, what? <laughs> and I say, yeah, that's the symbolism. You have to die. <laughs> I explained, well, I don't actually hold you there. I lift you right back out. Because the symbolism is there, though, the symbolism of death to self death to everything that you desire to get out of life some people don't realize that when you get baptized you're saying i'm done with everything i want to get out of life from now on i live for jesus christ alone and i'm resurrected to live for him and that's all what i'm about but it goes on in verse 5 paul says for if we have been united with him in death like his Have you been united with him in death? You can't be a Christian unless you have been. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Amen? Amen. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. How many people you know that sin while uh, while in the cemetery? You know, it just doesn't happen. They don't sin there because they're dead. And so it is. When we die with Christ, we're done with sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. And I believe that living that is being talked about, yes, it refers to our eternal life, but it refers to right now when we live for Christ and live a life of of holiness. Um, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Do you know that death doesn't have mastery over us as believers? We are going directly to heaven when we die. Do not pass go, go directly to heaven. It's an awesome thing. That's where we're going. Uh, It says, uh, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he, he lives for God. And then it says this, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That's an awesome thing. The interesting thing about this verse is that it changes the tense. Did you notice the tense change? All along, the tense has been uh, about in the past, right? Um, It says that all of us who were baptized into Christ, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, for we have been united with him. Our old self was crucified. It has, everyone who has died has been set free. Now, if we died with Christ, past tense. For we know that since Christ was raised, past tense, from the dead, the death he died, he died, past tense, once for all. But all of a sudden in verse 11, it changes into present tense. You see that? And it says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you know, this is something that carries on. Baptism isn't just for something that you, you do once. 
Baptism is something you do every day, all the time. As a Christian, we are called to follow Christ daily. Take up our cross daily and follow him. That means there's a death happening every day, a death to self. The self that wants to do your own thing, wants to enjoy life, wants to make lots of money, wants to take all the stuff you can get and for yourself and please yourself, that self is dead and has to die every day. And then the new self, the one that gives to other people, the one that loves people, the one that has the heart of God, the one that's filled with joy and peace and happiness, And the fruit of the Spirit, that self needs to resurrect every day. Every day. Count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This is an ongoing thing that we need to do regularly all the time. You know, there's a few things. Every time life is mentioned in these verses uh, in Romans chapter 6, it's always in the present tense or the future tense. It's never in the past tense. The life we live, the resurrection power, is what we do now all the time. That's part of who we are. And so, basically, we need to to constantly bury the old man. We we need to, to, to pull out a shovel and just start digging a hole and I dig a grave out for that old man every day. Every day you get, you get up in the morning, think about this. You know, think of your pastor doing this up on stage. And you do the same thing. You dig a hole. And dig a hole for that old man and you dump him in there. And then you take that shovel and you bury him down there. Just fill it up, load it up until he's completely buried. And then say, okay, that's it for that guy. But don't forget to raise up from the grave. (laughs) We come back to life because we have the life of Christ. And we say, in Christ I am alive and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen? That's what we do. And so we need to do that every day. We need to keep short tabs on that sinful guy because he keeps coming back. He keeps wanting to do things his own way. He keeps wanting to be cheap with with tithing. He keeps wanting to ignore all those starving people around the world because he wants a new car and he wants a new this and he wants a new iPhone and all those things that he wants. But the new self has to come up through and be raised from the dead. You know, you might say, well, you know, pastor, I, I... I gave my life to the Lord 30 years ago. I died with Christ 35 years ago. And and I got baptized too 30 years ago. Yeah, but what I want to know is did you die to the old man today? Did you rise with Christ this morning? Are you worshiping God today because there's this new life in you? The life abundant, filled with power from Christ. You know... What we realize, sometimes we think that, oh, that's, yeah, okay, that's what I do. I I put off the old man. Lord, don't let me be that old guy. Let me be a new man. But let me tell you something. It's tough every time. And God calls us to reject the old man all the time. And it's no easy thing. We might think like, oh, that's old hat. I've done that many times. Believe me, it doesn't get any easier. It's kind of like writing an exam, you know? Uh, 
when you were in grade school, you wrote exams, right? Were they difficult? Yes, yes, no, some various things. And then, then when you got out of grade school, you went to high school. And then you wrote more exams. They seemed to be harder, I think. Right? Were they harder? Yeah, yeah, they were harder. Okay. So, but you've already written a whole bunch of jam- exams. Shouldn't they be getting easier? You know, uh, then you write your, your, uh, your driver's license exam, and then you actually drive your driver's exam. And, uh, and my sons, my three sons, they all just came through exam ses- season. Okay? One's actually not quite done yet, and he's got two more to go. And, uh, you know, one, one was ex- being examined to see if he could fly a commercial aircraft. That was probably an easy exam, nothing to that. Uh, another one was, was uh, being examined to see if he could, he could pass courses in linguistics. Holy moly. <laughs> wow, impressive. And then another one was, he's still working on it, trying to pass exams, testing him in mathematics and, and the physics and in computer sciences. Oh, now, of course, those are all easy, right? Because they've done million, they've done hundreds of exams before, so it's easy. They've, that's old hat, right? Right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> oh, did I get that wrong? Yeah. It wasn't a piece of cake. No. You know what? Why? Why is it tough? Because they keep raising the bar. It's not a grade three exam. <laughs> no, it's a college. It's a university exam, and it's much more difficult. Guess what, folks? God does the same thing with us. When the sinful nature, when we first come to Christ, we put to death that man who cursed and cussed and, and was immoral or whatever it was, and we put him to, to death. But then... As we became mature, there was other things God started putting his finger on and started challenging us to live differently. And it became difficult. And so at Eastgate, uh, we've been looking at Old Testament um, symbols of the cross for the last number of weeks. And so I want to take you to the most, I think, most potent symbol of Christ's death in the Old Testament. It's found in uh, Genesis chapter 22. And I invite you to turn there. It's the story of Abraham going up to Mount Moriah to offer his son as a burnt offering to the Lord. Talk about a tough exam. <laughs> Can you imagine if God called you to sacrifice your son? Or your daughter, your only son, or your only daughter. Hmm. Check out the opening line of this passage. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I believe God tests us every day. And sometimes the tests are very difficult. Sometimes they're not so bad. But we get tests. Tested all the time. How many of you have been tested when you've been given the wrong change back from the clerk? Right? Are you going to be honest? It's a little test, right? You're going to be honest with that. How many of you are tested when you're when you're filling out your your uh, income tax form, and there was all that money that you got 
but it's not recorded on your T4 slip. Is that going to be written on there somewhere? And it's a little test. Are you going to be honest today? And we get these tests. Some of the, These are little tests. But Abraham got the big mother of all tests, right? <laughs> it's like God said, same to him, Abraham, yes? I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to me. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty steep. So what does Abraham do? What does it say he does? It says, very early the very next morning, Abraham got up and loaded the donkey. And I'm thinking, hold it a sec. Abraham, do you have a few screws loose or what? God didn't say you had to do it right away. Didn't God promise you that through Isaac all of your descendants will be numbered? So what happened to that promise? Like, what, you're just going to just boop, drop everything and go? And the very next morning, you're going to go get your two servants and get your son Isaac and you just load everything up and go? Aren't you going to, like, think about it for a while? Aren't you going to consider the fact that this may be a, a, a pagan deity that's speaking to you, some demonic force? that You know, you used, they used to... Uh, sacrifice babies back in Babylon. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe you got your wires crossed or something. No, none of that. It's just immediate obedience. Boom, just heads out and heads towards Moriah. You know, <clears throat> Abraham took wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and off they went. And the two of them went together. And, and uh, they said to the, the servants, stay, after they had traveled for three days, okay, so it's quite a journey. And I can't imagine what was going on through Abraham's mind as he's traveling down the road, walking with his son. Wow, I'm really going to kill my son. He's got the knife in his pocket. He's got uh, some fire. He's, he's going to kill his son. And for three days, he's walking with his son, contemplating this. And then they get in sight of Mount Moriah, and he says to his servants, you guys stay here, the boy and I will go on, and then we, we will come back to you. We? I thought he was going to kill his son. You know, the interesting thing is that Hebrews give us a little commentary, and he says, Abraham believed that God would raise the dead, and figuratively, he received Isaac back from the dead. Abraham is a man of this incredible faith. And he's going off to kill his son. And so uh, they're walking along, and, and the boy's 14 years old, right? And his dad's all like 100. And, no, 114. So his dad's a very old man. The young 14-year-old is probably twice as strong as his father, right? And they're heading along, and, and Isaac says, Hey, Dad. Yeah, what up? And he says, Dad, we, we got the fire. We got the wood. Where Where's the lamb? Like, aren't we missing something here? Little does he know, right? And uh, his dad says, it's okay, son. The Lord will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Well, that's a pretty unusual thing. And they go on, and they get to Mount Moriah, and Abraham builds a, an altar, and then he ties up his son. He binds him up, 
and he places them on the on top of the wood on top of the altar and then he pulls out the knife and he's ready to plunge it into his son's heart when suddenly the angel of the lord says abraham abraham do not harm the boy now i know that you trust in me more than any other <laughs> if it was a play up here you'd all be on the edge of your seat is he going to do it is he going to do it you know especially if you don't know the outcome right you didn't know what was going to happen. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That's a pretty big sacrifice. That's a pretty big ask. Uh, I, there was one day, one time, where God asked me a very similar question. I dedicated my son to the Lord. I was kneeling beside my my desk in my office, and I said, Lord, and it was when I only had one son, and I offered Kendall to the Lord. And I said, Lord, he's yours for the taking. Uh, I I dedicate my life to you. While I was still on my knees beside my, my desk, the phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was my wife. And she said these words to me, and I'll never forget them. Kendall hasn't come home from school yet. Oh, my goodness. You see, it wouldn't have been so bad if I had just prayed the prayer and then heard that. The problem was that 10 years, uh, 15 years earlier, I had prayed a very similar prayer. Lord, I give you my car, my souped-up Volkswagen Beetle that I had rebuilt and redone and ported the heads and put in a, a race cam in it, and it was my awesome baby. And I gave it to the Lord. I said, Lord, this is yours. I offer it to you. The very next day, my best friend said, hey, can I borrow your car? I want to take my girl on a date. I'm like, sure. It's not mine anyways, right? No problem. Uh, but two, two or three hours later, I saw him walk into chapel. I was on the other side of the chapel, and I saw him. He looked me square in the eye, and I went, my car is toast. <laughs> and sure enough, he had been T-boned, and the car was done. And I went, Lord, really? You've you got to be careful when you give things to the Lord. Because sometimes he takes you very seriously. And he says, okay, I'll take that. Didn't think you needed that anyways. I've been waiting for you to give that to me. And he takes it from us. So when I was on my knees and my son's life was all of a sudden, that all collided in my head and drove me like, what? And I said to the Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know if you take my son, you will destroy my life. I will not be able to recover. I don't think I'll be able to serve you. I'll be a a complete disastrous wreck. You know that. And I believe you're a good God. So that prayer that I just prayed is real. And you do what you want, knowing that you'll destroy me if you take him. But I'm taking my hands off, and it's up to you. Uh, I drove home, met my son at the door, and that was that. (laughs) So... Praise the Lord. God was gracious. But it was a trial, I think, similar to what Abraham was going through here. 
Uh, I didn't actually have to kill him, <laughs> you know. I didn't actually have to destroy my car. Someone else did that for me. Thank you very much. Um, but it's a very real, and God still calls us to death to self. We all have ambitions. We all have things we want to do. We all want to do, you know, be great. We want to have fame. We want to have riches. We want to have... And God says, no, that's not for you. Or God said, yes, maybe. I don't know what he wants. But we have to be like the, unlike the rich young ruler when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, go and sell everything you have and then follow me. And... We don't know how to do that most of the time. And God says, live your life in such a way that it's all available to me. And, and it's a tough call. That's what I'm talking about, dying to self. That's what I'm talking about, about baptism. It's saying, not my will be done, but yours be done, God. How could Abraham... Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, so I want to finish the story. So after the, the uh, angel stops him from killing his son, uh, Abraham looks up and there in the thicket is a ram caught with his horns caught in the thicket. And so he, he goes over and he grabs the ram and he, and he kills it and puts it on the altar and he burns it up as a fragrant offering to God. And that mountain was then called the mountain where the Lord provided or the mountain of provision. Um, and it's a beautiful picture of a substitutionary death. We all ought to have died for our own sins. We ought to have been judged for our own sins. All the things that we do wrong, God's wrath is burning against those things. And he will judge them all. But if Jesus takes our judgment for us, we don't have to be judged for those things. And it's the same way with this ram. Can you imagine what, as the ram, is, his throat is slit, and Isaac is watching it, and he's watching the blood pouring down the altar, and he's thinking, that could have been my blood. And then as, he light, as his dad lights the fire, and it starts burning up, and he's thinking, that could have been me getting cooked there. And it gives you a whole different understanding about a substitutionary gift, a substitutionary sacrifice that God provided for us. He provided it for us, and we have it. And so it's this beautiful picture of God providing for us a substitute so that we wouldn't have to be crucified and go to hell for our own sins. But Jesus bore our punishment for us so we can go to heaven. What an awesome thing. You know, when, when Abraham, um, it was not an easy thing for Abraham to dig that hole and bury his fatherhood in the ground there. That was tough for him. Uh, you see, there was this one time that God came to him at night and said, Abraham, uh, I am, do not be afraid, I am Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. And, um, you know, if God came in to you in the middle of the night after you had won a great battle, this is after the battle where he rescues Lot, if God came to you in the middle of the night and he stood at the end of your bed and he said, uh, I am your shield and your very great reward, what would you say? I'd say, awesome. That sounds great, Lord. 
thanks for being my protector and thanks for giving me the reward of heaven. This is great. Not Abraham. He's not impressed. <laughs> Abraham's, this is what Abraham says. Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. <laughs> There's nothing Abraham wanted more than a son. And the son finally, and, and he wanted it so badly that he went and slept with his, his handmaiden, uh, Ishmael, I'm sorry, um, Hagar, and, and she bore Ishmael. And she had a son. But you know what? When, after this vision of God appearing to Abraham, God says, God repeats something. He says, no, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into multiple nations, actually. And you're going to cover the face of the earth. See all the stars up there? Your descendants are going to be way more than that. See all the sand on the seashore? Your descendants are going to be way more than that. And the Bible says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the first time that we recognize that righteousness can be accredited to someone simply by belief. And so because Abraham believed the impossible, which basically Abraham's in his 60s or 70s at the time. He's a very old man. His wife is in, the, in her 50s or 60s. She's way beyond menopause. And she hasn't been able to, uh, to bear a child uh, yet. So, like, this is not possible. So that's not going to happen. So yet Abraham believed God. You see, Abraham believed God for before that. You see, when we were first introduced to Abraham, Abraham's told, God taps him on the shoulder and he says, Abraham, I want you to get up and leave your, your dad's house and your mom's house and I want you to go to a land where I'm going to show you. Well, what land is that, Lord? Well, I'm going to show you. Yeah, but where is it? Where should I go? I'll show you. Okay. Now, can you imagine one of my sons coming to me? Dad, uh, I'm taking off. I'm, I'm going to go live on my own. Okay, where are you going? Well, God's going to show me. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I'm just going to get my car started driving, and God's going to show me. Um, you know, you should come and talk to the elders for a little bit, and uh, we'll just discuss this a little. You know, like we'd be like shocked. Like, what in the world? But Abraham does, and he goes to the land of Canaan. And God shows up, and he, he, he gives God a, a sacrifice. And God shows up, and he says, Abraham, you know, all this land that you see, I'm going to give it to you all. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, what's it like? Eh, it's not very great land. In fact, by verse 10 of chapter 12, you know what it says about the land? And there was a famine in the land. Oh, thanks, Lord. He gave me this dry and dusty place. Great. We can do nothing here. And what does Abraham have to do? He has to leave. He's just gone to the, the land where I will show you, and there's a famine. Not that uncommon, actually, in Israel. And he has to go to Egypt where there's food. And so God tries him. And, and 
And he worships God there too. And in Egypt, he's protected. And then Abraham comes back to the land and uh, he's got lots of flocks. His his wealth is growing and he's having trouble with Lot and they're fighting over who's going to get the best grass. And finally, they go up on a hill and they look around and there's this beautiful lush uh, valley. It says it was looking like the Garden of Eden. And then over here was, well, the rest of Israel. This was the, the Jordan Valley. And, um, and Abraham does something very unusual. He says to Lot, Lot, why don't you have a pick? Which, where would you like to go? And Lot chooses the lush green valley, of course. And Abraham's left with the dry, arid Israel. And, um, and yet, God honors him. And God honors that. And his flocks increase even more. And then Lot gets captured by a bunch of kings. And Abraham goes to rescue him. There's four kings. In other words, four city princes. Uh, Who knows how big their armies are. Abraham counts his men. He's got 318 men. That's not much against four kings. And uh, yet he goes off and God wins him the victory. And then God makes a covenant with him. And then in chapter 17, um, God says to Abraham, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And what does Abraham do? He laughs. Okay? He's already had Ishmael, but he's now 100. His wife is 90. This is not going to happen. And he laughs. I know, I know Sarah gets a bad rap for laughing, but Abraham did it first, just so you know. <laughs> and uh, he laughs. His belief in God is, is getting a little weak but finally the child of promise arrives and he is overjoyed you know what they name him they name him laughter it's so much fun then his isaac means laughter and they're having a ball and they're just thinking this is amazing that son the one he longed for the one that he didn't care what God was going to give him. All he wanted was a son. And then when that son finally arrived, God says, okay, hand it over. Hand it over. And you know the thing I've noticed about God? Whenever he asks us to die to self, he never asks for the little thing that we have extra that we could give him. That's never what he's after. He's always after the pinnacle of our desire, the thing we want the most, the thing we love the most, that's what God says, I'll take that, thank you very much. What? Why, can't, can I give you my money? Like, why do you need my wife and children? Uh, you know, as a young man, it was my car. You know, I didn't even think of my parents. I don't know why. But, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> But God comes along and he tests our lives. And I believe that there's a crossroads that we all get to, that God wants to test us. Um, Last week, when Pastor Jacques was was teaching, he was teaching about Jesus having nothing. And then Elijah burnt his oxen and his his plowing equipment to go into the ministry. And, um, you know, I was reminded that I had been tested a number of times. One time I remember I was tested. Somebody said to me, oh, Bill, you don't, you don't play. You, you want to play football on Sunday? And I'm like, yeah, oh, I don't know. I'll think about it. And they, and they said, oh, you don't go to church, do you? 
test. I failed that test. I lied. I said no. I had another test one time where the Lord showed me absolutely, absolutely clearly that I needed to get baptized. Uh, Like uh, um, Andrea said, she looked in the Bible and God showed her the exact passage. Do you know, I, I asked God three times and he gave me three passages from the Bible that talked about baptism, but I didn't get baptized. I... I didn't do what God called me to do. And I chose my own will. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to... I don't know what. I already talked to you about my fancy Volkswagen. I remember a time when God called me to stop living for, for a good time. That's what I lived for. I, I, my, my idea of a good time was, was um, that I wanted to show all the people who did drugs and alcohol that I could have way more fun than them without the drugs and alcohol. That was my goal in life. And I lived that life. And God said, pleasure's your God. You're not that interested in me. You're, you're more interested in having a fun time than you are interested in me. And you know what? I actually passed that exam. <laughs> Thankfully. I started learning that I needed to give up these things and that, you know, and I gave up my Volkswagen and I... The disciples had to give up their their fishing boats and their nets and their livelihood. I had to give up my son. I had to give up my family. I had to say to God one day, God, this ministry that I do at Eastgate Alliance Church, it's yours. I give that up. If you want to take that away from me, go right ahead. Um, because it had started to take over in my life like that. I started to live for my ministry. And... Last Sunday, uh, I didn't stop being a pastor, but I said, Lord, you can, you know, like, do whatever. And and if you want somebody to accuse me of something I didn't do, and I that's fine. And last Sunday, God did it again to me. Because I have this, uh, with a friend, we're working on an entrepreneurial thing to to make some money for when we retire. And, and 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 I realized when Pastor Jacques was preaching that I need to lay my life on the altar and say, no, that's not going to be the most important thing in my life. God is always going to be the most important thing in my life. And it happens over and over and over. And again, it's death to self. It's burying the old man and saying, no, I live for God and I live for God alone. And I want to know, as, are you going to join me in this death to self that we do over and over and over again? I, I have, I'm wondering if I could have people hand these out. Could I just get a few volunteers to hand these out? Just pass a bunch of them along the, uh, to everybody. Um, it says that I surrender my all to Jesus, my possessions, my future, my family, my work, my ministry, my wealth, my talents, comfort, my pleasures, my health, your health. Will you surrender that to the Lord? And at the bottom... It says, right now, the thing that is competing with the Lord for first place in my heart is. And I'd like you to write something in there that is the biggest competition for the Lord in your life. And and what, what I mean by that is, what do you think about more than anything else? What occupies your gray matter? Write that down. 
unless it's the Lord himself, then you don't need to write that down. But if there's anything else that occupies a lot of space in your mind, write it down. And I want to end with this little story. You've heard it all before. Jesus goes out to a garden. It's called Gethsemane. And he goes there with his disciples. And he says, disciples, can you watch and pray with me? I'm having a hard time. And they're, I imagine they're all like, oh, sure, Lord. And uh, they start praying and they fall asleep. Jesus goes on a little further. And he gets down beside a rock and he starts praying. And he prays, Lord, if you could take this cup from me, please let it pass. But not my will, but your will be done. And he gets up and he goes back to his disciples. And he finds them sleeping. And then Jesus goes back. And he starts praying all the more. Father, if it would be your will to release me from this cup, please let it be done. But not my will be done. Your will would be done. And he starts so intense in this prayer that his, his sweat becomes blood. He's so intense. He realizes that it's such a horrible thing that is set aside for him to die for humankind, to suffer the wrath of God against all the sin that has ever happened in the entire world. And he says, oh, if I could just take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours be done. And then a third time he prays the same thing. And then an angel comes and ministers to him. And it says he goes for it. He's arrested. And they take him to Golgotha. And they nail spikes through his hands. And they jam a crown of thorns on his head. And they whip him. And they beat him with their sticks. And they punch him. And they spit on him. And then they nail him to the cross. And then they hang him there in midair until he dies. A slow and torturous death. Not my will, but thine be done. I want you to think about one person in that story that we don't often think of. And that's the Abraham figure. Can you imagine if Abraham did go through with it and kill his son? God did go through with it. And can you imagine the anguish of God the Father's heart to watch his own son die in anguish. And I believe God's heart was absolutely shredded at that time. I can't imagine it otherwise. There's no father I know that would, wouldn't rather die for their kids than have their kids suffer. Wouldn't rather suffer than have their kids suffer. We all would. And the father's heart's the same. And so when he asks us to follow him and to give up, it's not like he hasn't done it already for us. And Jesus has done it. Jesus gave up his will for the Father's will. And so I believe the... I don't have a... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to do something. I'm not sure we have time for it, but I'm just going to ask us to do it anyways. Um, where are we here? Yeah, so, so the communion stewards are going to come, and Josh is going to come and lead us through communion. But in preparation for communion, I want to ask you, 
if you wouldn't take that piece of paper with your greatest challenge to God's authority in your life and come up here and just place it before the cross and give it to God. And, uh, and so I'm going to ask those to just go that way and come up this aisle. If you're anywhere else, go to the back and come around. And so just so that it creates a flow like this. So let's all just do that really quickly if you have a mind to give that thing to the Lord and just offer it to him. And you, if you want, you can spend a couple minutes on your knees here. Uh, but go ahead and do that.